This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. This episode contains frank and honest discussions about mental health and mental illness. If you or someone you care about requires immediate assistance, please visit calltimementalhealth.com for links to resources. You are not alone. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital (laughs) W. Today we're kicking off a series of episodes about the relationship between mental health and the film and television industry. We talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and the ways that Hollywood in general and this local industry in particular can exacerbate mental illness. And yet we also don't talk enough about it. And the pandemic and isolation and the increased pressures to create meaningful work at an accelerated pace have only made things worse. We're losing people to addiction and overdose, to self-harm and death by suicide and paralyzing depression. And if we're going to save people, we need to hold a mirror up to this industry. We need to talk about how we're failing each other and how we as artists and stakeholders and audiences can do better. And to begin this essential series of conversations, I'm honored to be joined by filmmaker Heather Perluzzo. Heather's work is brave, nuanced, and paradigm shifting. Her films include Wildflower, This is a Period Piece, Girl in the Galactic Sun, and Hatch, the last of which is a sci-fi dramedy about a woman who, after experiencing a miscarriage, discovers and cares for an alien egg. I remember watching Hatch on the big screen, I think it was at Crazy Eights, and finding myself rendered breathless with raw emotion. I never experienced anything like that. And I never expected to see my own trauma of pregnancy loss explored in such an inventive and dazzling and cinematic sci-fi way. Heather summed it all up, but in a genre and medium I'd never seen before. I felt that way again earlier this summer when Heather posted a note on social media in which she addressed mental illness and addiction in our indie film community. With Heather's permission, here's an excerpt from her post. Addiction and emotional illness are prevalent throughout our industry. And going through the system, I had many a head nod at me once I said I'm in the film industry, saying, yeah, we have a lot of people from that industry come through here. As filmmakers, our job is also to be kind and to be kind with our schedules and expectations. And that's something that may be hard to grasp because as film workers, we feel that we are easily replaceable and we are made to feel that. But that doesn't excuse the fact that 18 hour days shouldn't be a thing. That people who aren't willing to go above and beyond their pay, their pay grade are not valuable to the team. So this is just a reminder, even to myself, to be kind and to be conscious of your decisions as filmmakers 
because in film, others' lives are also in your hands. And never, please, make someone feel like they are less than worthy for not being able to do a job based off of emotional or addiction-based illness. Those were Heather's words then. And like Hatch and her other films, these words bore themselves into my bones. So I'm honored that Heather has graciously agreed to join me today to reflect on her words and also the ways in which our industry fails people with mental illness. Heather Perluzzo, hi. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. <laughs> thank you, and thank you for the kind words and and for caring because, you know, it's it's hard to find people who understand what you're going through. I know a lot of people can empathize, but um, yeah, it's it's something that needs to be talked about, and I'm so happy that you gave me the opportunity to do so. Let's go back in time then to July 9th, which was mm. the day that you shared that post. Yeah. What motivated you to share those words on social media? Uh, well, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Mm. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I constantly, like, delete it off my phone and then re-add it because, like, there's that, like, fear of, of missing out. But then it's also, like, sometimes when I do post, you know, there's backlash or, um, you know, people kind of saying, get over it. And, you know, when you're going through mental illness those things, what someone can write in 10 seconds can last for weeks yeah. in my brain. And I overanalyze everything over and over and over again. So it proved to be quite toxic to, to be on social media because I just, I wasn't able to process what people were saying um, to the best of my ability. And I was just being very hurtful to myself. So mm. when I choose to post now I choose to post because I feel like a lot of people are scared to post about mental illness yeah. I feel like it kind of puts a black mark on your professionalism because people think that um, you're not going to be reliable mm. you're not going to be able to to do the hours and in some part that's true because I mean it's a process and this industry is very demanding but the reality of the situation is after going through, you know, um, the hospital system and everything, a lot of people from our industry are suffering. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people like to pretend that they're not because they're afraid that they're going to be judged or they're going to lose their job. And if they don't perform, um, they're willing to sacrifice their mental well-being in order to please the industry. Mm. So um, my post was basically just kind of a, a cry for help yeah. <laughs> because I feel myself lost and I can't imagine how many others are as well. And something I pride in what I do is that I like to make sure that if I feel uncomfortable about something, that means probably someone else's. And if I share mm -hmm. it, then perhaps it gives them the ability to feel like they can open up about it. Yeah. I mean, your words definitely touched me. Um, and listeners to my podcast know that, I mean, I live with PTSD, mm -hmm. depression, panic attacks, uh, mm -hmm. general anxiety disorder. Um, mm -hmm. And I make a point of talking about it as much as possible. And my relationship with, with 
all, all these, my mental illness and this work that I do is, and social media, it's all very complicated, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm try to do what you're doing, which is to make a choice that if I'm going to talk about it, that it is going to have a purpose to like, mm-hmm. you know, make myself feel less alone, make other people feel less alone. And I, I, I mean, your words in that post definitely did that for me, uh, but I'm assuming that it also did that for others as well. So can you tell me a bit about the feedback that you received to your post? And was there anything in that feedback feedback that, that surprised you or disappointed you? Um, I wouldn't say disappointed. I mean, everybody is entitled to their own opinion because everybody goes through um, life differently. So I'd say a lot of people did open up. I got quite a lot of messages offering support um which was nice uh but and a lot of people sharing that they too felt this but didn't know exactly how to communicate it Mm. in an industry that's kind of hardwired to think otherwise so it's like how do you fight that how do we how do we change that because even if people are going through things they're still willing to push through so why can't you yeah you know and that's kind of the a general feeling I got from quite a few people and um, it's sad because you lose a lot of talented people by having that mentality in this industry because you know as artists we're kind of broken people in a way a lot of us are and um, it's I think it's it's sad that the industry is built the way that it is because it's built around how to save money rather than how to support its members, in my opinion. Especially the the independent film scene. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about that connection between the film industry and mental health, mental illness, Mm -hmm. addiction, all part of the same, Mm -hmm. I don't know, egg. I I said egg. I think this hatches in my mind. Is this part of the same egg? What impact does working in the film and television industry have on mental health? Because, you know, one of the things that I found so staggering about your post was the fact that you had medical professionals being like, oh, yeah, we get a lot of film and TV people in here, you know? And and so I found that surprising and yet not at all surprising. I guess this is surprising because I I suspected it, but I... But then to have it confirmed by people outside of the industry. So what yeah. can you tell me about about that impact and that relationship between this industry and our our psyches mm-hmm. and our mental health? Well, this industry is, like I said, it's so difficult to be bottom line in, in this industry and not mm-hmm. above the line. I mean, above the line have their own problems as well. But a lot of people like I said, feel this need to over exert themselves in order to get anywhere in this career. And that leads to drug addiction, alcohol addiction, just any way that you can get through the day. So we're talking about trying to stay awake, trying to do a lot, like spreading ourselves thin and whatever we can do to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because I spent a couple days in detox back in um, March 
and there were people in the film industry there and huh. they had access to their phones a couple times a day and the whole time they were on the phone I could tell they were with producers or with their crew manager being like yeah yeah, yeah I'm gonna be out like I'm gonna get myself out real soon you know like trying to rush their process because they I could tell that they were struggling oh. um yeah and so you know it was very sad to see that because there were a number of people who I could see were on their phone trying to save their jobs a lot of the day because you know you're not allowed really to do anything in, in detox other than detox so um I, I saw that need to to be responsible for yourself and like overcompensate because of your illness and I, I can only imagine that it caused those people 10 times more harm yeah. yeah because they're not getting the proper help that they need they're just constantly trying to you know confirm their their status do i still have a job am i am i going to be blacklisted you know have you heard of that happening of people losing work um losing you know their status is it a perception thing or is this a reality that you that you're observing this for me because I haven't worked too much in the actual industry because when I have done it was exhausting and I like yeah. I, w I worked as a grip um, on like some Hallmark stuff and like after a couple 18 hour days I was just like this isn't gonna fare well for me mm -hmm. um, so I mean I have heard of some people having pushback because they're not able to take time for their mental illness so that's why everyone just shuts up and that's I think it, it, it's like you fake it until you literally break down. And that's, that's the problem is that people pretend for so long and everyone keeps their jobs for the most part until they can't anymore. Yeah. You know? So it's not fake it till you make it. It's fake it until you literally break. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like, somebody needs to be responsible for this, you know, and I know that, you know, for on the union side, for people in unions, like the unions mm. are trying to do, you know, what they can. I mean, one of the resources that I refer people to is Call Time Mental Health, and that's like a multi-union working group, you know, to try, you know, where, where, you know, unions are trying to intervene before they lose more members, before their members burn out. But, you know, it's, it almost feels like it shouldn't just be, the unions trying to grab people before they fall, you know, it should be like, where, where would you like to see, I don't know, like this attack happen. Now I'm beyond eggs and I'm now into like, this is a, this, we are the Avengers and we need to like, you know, suit up and do something, you know, who, mm -hmm. who do you think in our industry needs to be involved in, in taking this on and saving lives? It's a tough question because I like you know, to have at least one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, I've only been in a leadership position at less than a handful of times. Yeah. So, you know, I see in that position how the people in the leadership positions on set can, can navigate around. And that's what I try to do my best is when, um, you know, if someone on, on the set is suffering or they feel like someone's mistreating them, then we nip it in the bud and we, we solve the problem or we, you know, we have a talk about it. And, you know, like I said, I don't have too much professional experience. So I'm just clearly speaking about my own and um, it's just, 
I don't know if there's like a system that can be better in place to find work rather than just like Facebook groups or looking on Indeed and like, um, you know, there's, I think people being more willing to let office people work from home mm. or um, maybe human resources being more involved or more support groups involved uh, in the indie community that can like, you know, not like AA, but like, you know, a film group where people can vent because I find people are so f afraid to talk about it because mm. they don't want to be that person, which I myself have been many times and I've, felt like that person and I feel the eye rolls already from already having this conversation of people just being like well suck it up or don't be in the industry and it's like well do I have to give up my dream because I have a mental disability or yeah. or should the industry be a little bit more lenient with what they expect from people yeah I mean a lot of ways it's it's an invisible illness it's an invisible disability right until we lose people and then we're, you know and we've lost a lot of people who who have tried to push themselves uh to fit into that structure i'm going to talk mm -hmm. a little bit about on-screen representation which mm -hmm. i mean we talk a lot about on-screen representation both on the show and then also you know in the the, the zeitgeist there's a lot of talk about representation but yep. less specific about representation of mental illness, emotional illness, mental disability. These are all, all the different words that are used to describe, mm -hmm. you know, fractures in our mental health and just, you know, existing. Honestly, it's yeah. existing with mental health. It is. You know, what kind of, what kind of relationship do you see, you know, between on-screen representation of mental health and mental health in the larger society? And like, is, is Hollywood and even the indie scene, are we getting it right? Um, there are some moving things that I have seen on screen. I think we can push the boundary more. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a little bit of a pretty representation of what mental health looks like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going through a lot of documentaries lately about what it actually looks like, the two differ very much so. Yeah. So, um, you know, like we interpret mental illness on screen as like girl interrupted or one flew over the cuckoo's nest and stuff like that, which are just like kind of glorified versions of, you know, and having spent time in a mental hospital myself recently, um, the reality is a lot grimmer. So I think that people obviously don't want to show how dark it can be in there and how dark living with mental illness can be on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. and I think the problem is that those of us who do live in that dark place we don't know how to express it because mm. um, it's just you know something I try to do is always push past my trauma and make something out of it yeah. but when it comes to this I've had I've struggled quite a bit because I'm still in it, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to see the light from the other side. And I think that in order to be true, like, I don't want to trigger people either, right? And yeah. I don't think that, I think that's also a line that people don't want to cross in general because it can be very triggering to witness what you've been through um, 
but it's also kind of necessary for people to understand what it's actually like. Yeah. I mean, because then you can end up, I mean, the, the alternative then is to like create work like Hatch, where mm-hmm. I didn't watch somebody, you know, experience an identical, exactly. you know, pregnancy loss experience what I had, but, you know, watching Sarah Canning, you know, caring for this egg, alien egg that she, you know, she finds um, after experiencing that loss. Like it's, I, I did not expect, reading the description of your film, I did not expect to feel seen, you know? And so it, it was like, is the work that you are, are doing now that you are, you are percolating now and nurturing now, like how, how, how do you think mental illness, mental health, emotional health is impacting that, you know, and how, how are you looking for ways to move the conversation forward? Yes, I am looking for ways to move the conversation forward. I've even dabbled um, in potentially doing work in documentary about it. Hmm. Um, but also, I've been so afraid to write anything for the past year um, because I just don't want to misrepresent um, my experience and others' experiences. And so I just feel a lot of pressure to do it right. And I feel like since I got out of film school, that pressure has pushed me in directions that I didn't always necessarily want to go. Yeah. And, you know, this time around, I want to take my time and I want to do something that will actually change the way people see mental illness, especially in our industry and the way people receive it. And it's a, it's a lot of pressure. (laughs) So, well, you are not alone in this journey. Yeah. Um, You you did mention the last year and, you know, uh, concurrent with everything that you've been dealing with personally, we have been, you know, navigate, I don't know if you know, but there's been a pandemic that's been going on. No. So, you know, (laughs) what kind of changes have you observed, you know, in your, in your social networks, you know, in conversations with your your colleagues, you know, about the impact that the pandemic has had on mental illness in our industry? Um, The past year was very difficult. uh, So I actually retreated a lot more than I reached out. Mm. Um, I became very internally disrupted and, it became kind of difficult for me because at the same, while I couldn't see people, um, I kind of retreated to that inner like saboteur and just like Mm -hmm. wanted to be left alone, um, which ended up with me, you know, um, I attempted suicide twice in May and, um, so I understand that reaching out is important because, I felt like I couldn't. I felt like people were tired of, of, oh, Heather has a problem. I felt like, you know, I was just letting people down all the time. So I just kind of retreated from the industry because I, I just didn't want to be that person. I felt like a burden. Mm. And, um, and while I watched, you know, from the backseat on social media, other people going through what they went through during COVID, and I reached out to people whenever, you know, I felt I could. Um, I definitely wasn't as present as I could have been. And, you know, I, I feel for everybody because it must have been 
horrible, especially for people who are actively social or actively, you know, like pursuing um, life in the industry and to have that completely cut off. Yeah. Um, it must have, it was a horrible year. Let's yeah. It was <laughs> let's a horrible it that way. year. It absolutely was. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. And I, for one, am fucking glad that you're still, that you're here. Thank you. And uh, it does also kind of cast, uh, your post in a new light and yeah. know that you are through your work, through speaking out, through your eloquence on this topic, like you're, you're saving people, you're changing Thank lives. You. Uh, and I, and I personally know that this is, it's a rocky journey. And sometimes mm-hmm. when we should want to reach out that can, our mental illness mm-hmm. will really even try to isolate us even exactly. more, we can be the, like uh, the, the worst monsters can live inside of ourselves. Exactly. So I'm glad you're still here. Um, can you give some examples of documentaries you watched or, or films that, that you've watched that have got it right, you know, that, or that you feel like if people want to understand what it is that, that we go through, those of us who, who live with mental illness all the time, yeah. Um, that they can watch and experience to understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, one that I watched was called um, Bedlam, which was about a mental asylum in L.A. And it pretty much just documented kind of everyday life of a couple people in there. And mm. it was very triggering because it really, really replicated what I'd been through. And it, it really showed the the reality of it. And yeah. I, I saw a lot of bravery in that. What kind of advice do you have for, for, I consider these to be very rare people, these rare people who are, have meant good mental health all the time. Because uh, mm. <laughs> I don't know many people who feel, you know, feel great all the time. Um, but, you know, pe- people who, who have loved ones, in their lives who are like you, who are like me, you know, um, who, and who might find themselves a recipient of a text or a phone call on a weekend, perhaps when the other <laughs> services aren't available, you know, what, what, what do you think are, are helpful things for them to say? And I, and uh, everything I'm saying that Heather says, and that I say here, we're not doctors, we're not medical no. professionals. Um, we are, we live with this. Uh, mm-hmm. We use the medical system. Um, so th- this is, this is like, more this is not medically based no, so uh, but this is exp- opinions and experience you know what mm-hmm. kind of words do you think are because people want to help and they might be they they might be scared to help or worried about saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. um i would say i mean it's always you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all mm. um but so get over it or snap <laughs> out of it. Not helpful. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, yeah, I feel like based off of experience, when I've reached out, sometimes I've felt people very cold and dismissive. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when I say that I feel like a burden, they're like, well, don't feel like a burden. But it's like, you know, I reach out for help and to my to my peers. And sometimes I feel like, they don't care. Mm-hmm. And if you don't care, that's okay. But then I don't want you really in my circle because I, I no longer, like before uh, all of this happened this past year, um, I was so willing to just like forgive everybody and just like 
be like, it's okay, people just don't understand. And it's not, it's your fault, it's not their fault, because you're the one with the problem. Mm. Um, but that's not real friendship and real mm. community, I find. Um, and I have I have a couple friends back home who, in Montreal, who have still supported me over the phone every day since everything happened. Yeah. And, you know, I can't honestly say that about everybody here. Yeah. Um, so it, it has felt isolating. So I just, I guess if you have a friend who's dealing with mental illness or someone that you consider a friend, then, you know, realize that what you say they're going to think about for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. While as what they say to you might just come and go. Mm. Um, but they're going to think about what you think about what they said, about how you feel about them now that they've opened up. They're mm. going to feel anxiety and stress about opening up to you. So I think just being empathetic with the situation that if someone's opening up to you, it's for a reason and they want somebody to talk to and to, to at least try to, be there with them while like while they go through this and if if it, you don't want it to be your problem then you just gotta sit be straight up and be like hey i feel for you but i'm not in the place right now to be helping you because mm -hmm. then you're not leading them up like this ladder of like oh i'm totally here for you and then you know you call them and they don't answer or you you know like you text them and they you see they read it and they never answer you and it's just like that's what that's what hurts i think yeah. Well, thank you for opening up with us today and for sharing yeah. your stories and your insights and your experiences with our audience. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you, celebrate you on social <laughs> media and also keep up to date on what you're, what you're working on? Well, I'm not working on much, but, um, I know you're yeah. percolating <laughs> lots of stuff. Hey, you have to also, I mean, prioritize mental health and recovery yeah. like that is and that's something that I mean that's kind of ties it back to what we were talking about at the beginning it needs mm -hmm. to be a priority with people yeah. in our industry you know it is yeah. not something that you can just push through no it's not and you know I always felt this pressure to create before and you know when I got onto medical uh, unemployment I took that as an opportunity to be focused on on recovery rather than just being like oh i have a couple of months off let me just like try to write as much as i can and, and submit as much as i can like i i was just like no i you know like i attend therapy i go to a lot of sessions and on the phone all the time with mental health care professionals just trying to make it so that my way back into the industry is a little easier yeah so, I mean, you can follow me on Insta. <laughs> I put of my dog. Yes! So, I mean, you're into dogs. Um, or my face, because I've been very isolated at home lately. So, it's just mostly my face or my dog. So, uh, <laughs> can you please tell us about your dog, by the way? <laughs> yeah. What's your dog's name? What kind of dog is it? My dog's name is Mozzie, and she's a toy poodle. And oh! I know. And oh, she's yeah. literally the cutest thing in the entire universe. And she's my best friend. And like, yeah, uh, she's adorable, even though some people say she looks like an alien and I won't name names. 
<laughs> but she does not she's adorable <laughs> okay and i'm here for that i'm here for that mozzie is mozzie yeah mozzie mozzie i'm here for that mozzie content yeah. all right and uh well thank you again thank you so much for having me i really appreciate you taking the time to actually explore this and continue to explore it as you said um I think there's a lot of people that want to talk about it and you'll probably have no shortage of fantastic resources out there of people willing to open up and share. So Yeah, and we're going to include links to a lot of resources, international resources, because we have people all over the world exactly. who listen to this yeah. podcast. So we'll put those in the links for this episode. Well, Amazing. And on that note, I will say thank you and tell you that the YBR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. I am Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devlet, poor not Furminger <laughs> Dane, for the original music. YBR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. You can find us on all the socials at YBR Screen Scene, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts for free and at our home on the web at ybrscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And please remember, you are not alone. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver and Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the Fish Flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's Fish Flight Entertainment dot com.